Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. My guest this month on The Compliance Life is Matt Silverman. Matt is not a chief compliance officer, but a director of trade compliance at Viavi. I thought it would be interesting to explore the journey to the director's seat for a trade compliance professional as it mirrors the journey of a chief compliance officer, but also has some unique twists and turns. So over this four-part podcast series in the month of December of 2021, we're going to be exploring Matt's journey, his academic background, his move from private practice to the corporate world, and then some of the unique challenges of a director of trade compliance. I know you'll enjoy this month on The Compliance Life featuring Matt Silverman. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our final episode in this month's series on The Compliance Life. Uh, We've been visiting with Matt Silverman, uh, Director of Trade Compliance at Viva. Matt, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Matt, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions uh, where I ask you to look at that veiled land called the future. But before we get there, I was wondering if you could uh, talk to us a little bit about the difference of the role of trade compliance vis-a-vis the regulators, contrasting that with anti-corruption compliance, uh, where our regulators are the Department of Justice prosecutors. It's always been my sense that there's at least some collaboration between someone like yourself or your team uh, with the BIS or or others uh, in the the, uh, Department of Commerce. And how can you utilize that form of collaboration, recognizing they are regulators as well, but it's, it's, a, it's a resource to you as the trade compliance director, and how can you use it? Yeah, so that's a good, um, that's a good question, and I think, it is, I think it is very different in the, maybe in the trade compliance field. Um, I have always felt um, that the, the regulators who we deal with, whether it's um, Department of Commerce, Department of State, even to, to some extent the Treasury Department with OFAC, that they are very open to and actually encourage um, collaboration and speaking with them. I mean, certainly, so, so BIS, the Bureau of Industry and Security, which is part of the Department of Commerce, that is certainly on the civil side or dual use side, that's your main regulatory body. So BIS every year does an update conference um, and and they invite industry to come to Washington DC, although in recent years, obviously with COVID, it's been virtual. And they will have breakout sessions where you can literally sit down at a table 
with someone who is a, a um, an employee of BIS and talk to them openly and freely about um, you know the existing regulations, regulations coming out, and even you know here's what we do at our company, here's what some of our concerns are. What do you kind of predict for the future, or do you have any um, input or suggestions on when we're filing a license, for an example? What should we include, not include? I think it's a very collaborative environment. Um, I know when I did, for example, I did a lot of anti-boycott law when I was at Baker Hughes. A lot of I managed our anti-boycott compliance group, and the anti-boycott team within BIS has a hotline that you can call, and you can call and you can be anonymous if you want to, or you can call and say. You know, this is the issue that we're having. Is this a potential violation if we accept this contract language? And they will tell you right there on the phone, or they will write you an email back and say yes or no, or here's what you should be concerned about. Um, I have never felt like, there are certainly some instances where I have maybe played my cards a little close to my chest um, and not wanted to disclose everything. But at the same time, I, I have always felt like, especially with BIS, that they are um, that they really encourage you to reach out to them. And, and you do, once you've been in the trade compliance field, as long as I have, you start to find those, um, those agents or those employees within the applicable government agencies, whether it's DDTC, the State Department, or BIS within commerce, who you know that you can go to with a question or a concern, and they can reach out to you and say something as straightforward as, "Yeah, you know, the license that you submitted that that's never going to get um, that's never going to get approved." Um, and it, you know that that's important to know. That'll help you in, in a little bit of forward planning. Or if you're really looking for this license to get approved, here are the changes that I would suggest that you make, um, or here's the additional information we need to know. So there is always that opportunity. I think within the trade compliance field, um, working with the applicable government regulators. It doesn't always mean that you get the answer you want, and it doesn't always mean you get it right away, but I think it's a, a generally pretty collaborative environment be between the industry and the regulators. Matt, we've had a couple of themes throughout this podcast series. One we really haven't focused on is along the lines of the following. You you have talked about your academic background and your professional background, yeah. which uh, led you into trade compliance. And that then you told us about uh, how the role has evolved and, and I would say even expanded. But it strikes me that there are a wide variety of talents and skills needed in trade compliance. So I really wanted to pose the question to you, uh, does the trade compliance professional of 2025 or, or 2030 need to have a different skill set than certainly I did back in 2007 and perhaps you did uh, as well? Or uh, do you feel like uh, with a robust, uh, more liberal arts type background, you can uh, gain the subject matter expertise? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, so so here's what I would say. I, I'd say one is that you certainly don't have to be an attorney to be a good trade compliance professional. Now, if you're the the nice part of that is if you're in-house counsel, um, a lot of trade compliance groups now are working with outside counsel, right? So if if you're not an attorney, it's sometimes more difficult to be um, um, to to have the um, to have privilege and then to be able to have discussions either internally or with outside counsel, where if you are an attorney, you have a little more freedom there and, and you can work under the privilege. But it's certainly not a requirement 
Um, even even at the director level, I mean, the person that I replaced at my company, like I said before, 20 years of experience, not an attorney, but incredibly knowledgeable in, in the regulations. And, and I've seen that at many, many companies. Um, it is, I think, the same today as it was in the past in that the more experience you have, the more um, knowledge you have of the regulations of the agencies, the more connections, um, whether it's your direct connections or having people on your team who have those agency connections, the better. Um, but aside from knowing the black letter law, which changes, um, if not day to day, can change month to month. Um, but aside from knowing kind of the black letter law and how the laws are written, um, I, I think that a, a somewhat overlooked part of being a trade compliance professional, whether it's at the director level or not, but certainly at the director level, is having some of those kind of softer skills that um, that many people may not have within within your team and may not necessarily need to have. I mean, there are there are trade compliance professionals who do. Um, HTS, harmonized tariff schedule classifications all day. They sit at a computer and do it. They love to do it. Um, they get really involved with it and they don't necessarily need to have some of the kind of softer skills. They need hard skills in terms of being able to read the regs and apply them. Um, I think when you get to a, a manager or director level, there, there's a lot of skills you need to have. One of which is um, obviously at a, at a director level, you know, you're managing people and there's a lot of um, a lot of personal interaction. And I think you have to kind of look toward helping people to develop in their career. I mean, some people in the trade compliance field, they work in a very niche area. They do they do this task only or these couple tasks, and they may not have uh, professional ambitions or or really want to grow in that, and that's fine. But a, but a lot of people, and obviously younger younger compliance professionals, may have um, goals of being a manager or director one day or being a CCO one day. And I think you always have to kind of keep in mind um, that that people don't just want to be um, uh, assigned work and then given a pat on the back at the end of the day. They they they're looking to you for how how they can develop their career. And I've had people, and it's very flattering, come to me and say, "Hey, I kind of know your story a little bit. Um, I'd like to follow a similar path. What do you recommend?" So I think it's always um, nice to have those personal. Um, contacts and developments with your team. And then, you know, the other soft skills are just things like being able to explain to the business why certain regulations have to be followed. So you can be a trade compliance professional who just says, here's the way it is, now follow it. Or you can be a trade compliance professional or director who, like we talked about before, is proactive, who works with the business, who doesn't just say, here's the rule, now follow it, but explains you know, for example, the context so that the average HR professional who has no idea um, why they can't hire a national from China or from Iran, um, that they understand the context a little more because you've taken the time, whether you directly or someone on your team, to explain to them some of the context behind it. So I think that those are some of the softer skills in terms of people management and working with people that can be overlooked. Um, but I think it's it's just as important um, as, as some of the harder skills. Matt, perhaps one of the most ubiquitous phrases of 2021 has been ESG. Yeah. Where, what is the overlap of ESG with trade compliance, but more importantly, 
Uh, do you see that overlap really becoming an interconnectedness as we move to 2025 and beyond? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think ESG initiatives and the focus on ESG is here to stay. I mean, I, I could be wrong, and I've certainly heard people say it's a fad. I, I don't think it is. Um, working in the trade compliance field, there are a number of different ways. I couldn't even list them all on our podcast today, but you know, from an environmental perspective, um, companies want to be more self-aware um, and and aware of where they're sourcing from, the environmental uh, effects and impacts of trade um, and of, of their supply chain. So there's a lot of overlap, um, for example, where I work with our logistics and supply chain group and procurement in kind of staying a little bit ahead of the game on environmental issues as they impact um, our, our supply chain and who we trade with. The the social part of it, of course, as well. Um, you know, a, a lot of the reason that you may see in the news a, a trade agreement or an FTA um, was voted down by a certain senator or a number of senators is because of the um, of the labor provisions, right, in that trade agreement, and that they're unfair labor provisions, and and we see that in trade agreements, but we also you know, nowadays it seems like there's an article every every day or so on on the treatment of uh, the working conditions of a certain group of people in a certain country, and you know that's not always something that a, a CCO or a CEO is paying attention to. I can tell you my my CEO does because he's he stays very involved in ESG issues. But I think um, in in trade compliance, you may be looked to as the person to say, you know, do we have ethical um, sourcing, or are we trading with countries or partners um, who practice ethical labor standards, et cetera, and that there's no basically modern slavery involved with how our products are manufactured or who we trade with. So there's a, there's a lot more examples too, and especially you know on the G part on the governance side. Um, but I think yeah, ESG is certainly here to stay, and for the trade compliance professional, there is there is so much overlap that. It's nice because it gives you a lot of visibility to the C-suite to be able to say, you know, make sure to include us on ESG initiatives and conversations um, because there's a lot of overlap there with trade compliance. Matt, what would you say to the uh, college graduate, to the law school student, to the person at Georgetown who's getting the same or similar degree that you got about why they should go into trade compliance as opposed to really, uh, you know, any of the other compliance disciplines, AML, uh, ABC, or or some other. What what do you, what's the selling point for you, or what should be the selling point for a young professional moving into their uh, career about trade compliance? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Yeah, so I, I certainly I, I don't uh, mean to knock any of my other compliance professionals, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, AML or anti-corruption. Um, trade compliance to me is is a really fascinating area to practice in. One, because it's very broad. Um, I mean, it's, it's trade compliance, but just within trade compliance, like I've talked about before, there's customs issues, there's export issues, there's anti-boycott and, and there's ever-evolving sanctions issues. And I, and I think that there's disagreement nowadays on how effective things like um, economic sanctions are, but I think that those aren't going away anytime soon. Um, and I think that it can be a, a very exciting area to work in because it really is in many ways, you know, the laws and regulations are dependent on geopolitics and what's going on in the world. So 
if you're a student of geopolitical affairs or you just um, you like watching the news, I mean, everything I see on the news nowadays, whether it's um, civil strife in a country or the supply chain shortage, whatever it is, um, it in some way impacts either now or will impact what I do and and who we trade with and the business that we can do with certain people and certain countries. And I think that for, um, for someone who's considering a career in trade compliance, they should know it is not just logistics. Again, no, no disrespect to any of my, my counterparts in logistics, but it is more than just operational. Um, it is, it is very dynamic and exciting, um, to be able to work with, um, ever-changing laws and regulations that in, that impact, um, your team and your company all around the world. It's also hopefully after, um, after COVID, if there is an after COVID, it also gives you a lot of really great opportunities to travel, to meet people from different cultures, um, and to really get a, a, a good worldview um, that that I think is uh, would be uh, appreciated by any um, you know budding attorney, compliance professional, or student nowadays. Well, Matt, unfortunately, we are near the end of this episode, and and indeed the series. This has just been a fascinating series of uh, function. I thought. I knew, uh, but it turns out I was looking at it through my 2007 mm-hmm. lens, and it's very dynamic, uh, very, uh, I was going to say very evolving, but that's not a very good phrase. It's ever-evolving, and it's going to be ever-evolving forward, and I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to not only tell us your story, but really help educate uh, a wider variety or wider audience on the compliance life about the role of a trade compliance professional and sitting in the director's seat. So uh, thank you very much, and I'm sure we will have you back. Thanks, Tom. I really, really appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.